We're in a series called Pray Like Jesus, and we've been looking at this topic of prayer through the month of August, and we've been kind of bouncing off of something that the disciples did. The disciples had been following Jesus, and they realized uh, this is no mere man, and they realized that, that, that there was a secret to his character and to his power and to the things that they were seeing, that there was this connection between what they were witnessing in him and through him and his persistent and consistent habit of prayer. And so they realized if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to learn to pray like Jesus. And so they came and they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so over these past few weeks, we've been looking at different sections of scripture where Jesus, the Lord himself, taught us on prayer. And we've learned, our first week, we learned that prayer at its essence, according to Jesus, is about relationship. It's about uh, conversation with a God who's already initiated it. We learned that it's, it's about keeping company with God, that prayer we've been finding over these last two weeks, according to Jesus, is predominantly a proactive thing. It's not just something you reserve for when you're riding to Cincinnati and your car spins out and you do the, the reactive Jesus take the wheel thing. There's a place and a time for that. But Jesus says, for my followers, for my disciples, prayer is this proactive thing. It's this lifestyle. Last week we talked about it, the habit of prayer. And that if you would just pray and you would just be a person, a creature of constant and consistent prayer and communion with God, so much of the trouble and the, and the trial and the stuff that we get into in our lives, had we been proactive in prayer, we may have avoided it altogether. How many of you know I, I'm good at getting in trouble all by myself? And so we're finding, as we're looking at this topic of prayer, Jesus wants us to learn how to walk with him and how to abide in the presence of God, and that so much of the life of God, the vast majority, can already be accomplished if we just learn how to be people of habitual and constant prayer. But I want to look today, though, at what do you do when you follow Jesus the way and he leads you to a place where there's a gap in the road? Or he leads you to a place where there is a need that you cannot meet and has not been met through your prayer. What do you do if every day at 11.01 you pause and pray? Which is funny, speaking of my golf round with Seth, Seth was in the middle of his backswing and the 11.01 alarm went off and he shanked it right into the woods. It was the best. It was awesome. I enjoyed that. But what do you do at 11.01? You've been every day praying and you're, you've been disciplined and you've been following Jesus. You've been entering the door, so to speak, every single day of your life. And then you come into a season, though, where you, where the, you went through the door, so to speak, and you came into a wall. What do you do when you come to a wall? What do you do when you come to a need? What do you do when you come to a time in your life, a place in your life, where you don't know the way to go, where, where you, don't, you can go this way or that way. You, you need clarity. You need direction. What do you do? Because Jesus, we're going to find, actually speaks to that. And I don't know if you ever go to a church where they want to give you the idea that if you start following Jesus, then all of your roads will just be, be smooth. It'll be smooth sailing, and there'll be no obstacles. That's not in the gospel. But he actually gives us handles on what to do with obstacles, what to do with mountains, what to do with locked doors, what to do with inquiry, what to do with great needs. He, he speaks to that today. And I want to look at what do you do when there is no way? What do we do to break through? Jesus, in Matthew 7, he'd been teaching in a famous scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's kind of, if you ever want to get the, the general idea of what Jesus came to teach and talk about, you can read those three chapters. It's kind of like his, his main great sermon, his thesis. He taught on all kinds of things, but the big idea is right there, that he came to seek and save the lost and to redeem and restore all things, to bring a new creation into the broken one. It's awesome. And he begins by 
calling anybody who's weary, meeting all of our needs. And he starts speaking the good news of the kingdom. And he covers all these topics, the Beatitudes. And then he talks about prayer. We looked at it last week. And he talks about fasting. And then he tells us that there is a reward associated for those who follow him. He talks about storing up treasure in heaven. That there's a reward for righteousness. There's a reward, a reward for those who seek him. But then, almost as if he keeps going beyond the reward, and then he starts talking about things that are going to oppose you. He starts talking about opposition. He starts talking about challenges. He, he begins with anxiety and worry and the fact that you're going to come into seasons of your life that's going to cause you anxiety. And he talks about that. And he talks about dealing with difficult people. And he talks about judgment. And he talks about all, the, all these kind of human things. And it's as though just at the point you think he's going to exempt us from having to go through the stuff of life, he doesn't. He didn't come to exempt us from it. He came to equip us for it. And so he starts to speak about what do you do when you come to a locked door? What do you do when you come to a place where there is a need that you cannot possibly meet? What do you do when you don't know which way to go? And here's what he says in Matthew 7. Let's read it together. Actually, let's read it together. All of our locations out loud. Uh, if you can't read, just, just move your mouth. But let's, let's read it all out loud together. Matthew chapter 7. Let's say, ask and it will be given to you. Come on, Wes. Seek and you will find. Halifax, knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him so Jesus says when you face a need, when something is missing, when you come to a fork in, a row, in the road, when you come to a closed door, here's what you're going to need to do. It's almost like he gives us this, this system to kind of begin to navigate the, the difficulties of this world. I was thinking, because I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd, I was thinking about it like a, a bit of an algorithm. Anybody love a good algorithm? You're like, what's an algorithm? And it's like a, a flow chart. If you're not nerdy enough to know what an algorithm is, it's a flow chart. You know, like, uh, like on the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon Cooper's algorithm for making friends. Has anybody ever seen that? Go check it out sometime. It's very exhaustive. It's called the friendship algorithm. I found some cool algorithms online. Actually, I like this one about how babies make decisions. Let's bring that up. How babies make decisions. Is it food? If the answer is yes, stare at it, poke it, drop it on the floor, smash it, throw it, or rub it in your hair. If the answer is no, try to eat it immediately. Here's how you're going to proceed. I thought this one was funny for my doctor friends. The WebMD flowchart. Do you have, that was a doctor, I think. Do you have pain? No. Are you sure? No. You have cancer. Yes. Liar. You're going to die. Do you have pain? Yes. Mild, moderate, severe. You're just, you're going to die. Ever, any, anybody ever use WebMD? You just automatically go to the worst case scenario. You might have like an itch in your eye. And by the end of the day, you think you've got some, some incurable disease. Here's my favorite one. Favorite algorithm I found on the internet. Should you eat that bacon? Should you eat that bacon? Answer. Do you want to feel like angels are frolicking on your taste buds? 
If the answer is yes, then eat it. If it's no, clearly you've never tasted bacon. Eat it. If the answer is yes, but I'm afraid it will kill me, I'll say, are you, ask the question, are you a coward? If you can answer, no, I'm not, then eat it. If you answer, yes, I am a coward, then bacon will turn you into a true warrior. Amen. <laughs> but Jesus kind of gives us these handles on how to proceed. And I know we're kind of having fun with it a little bit today, but I don't want to make light of some of the needs that are in your life. And some of you have impossible mountains in front of you. And you have incredibly thick walls around you. Some of you have situations where the need is so great, there's literally nothing else you can do but look to the heavens and say, can you help? And so I want to look today at how do we pray for breakthrough? How, do we, how does God, how does Jesus himself want us as his sons and daughters, as followers of him, how are we supposed to move forward through things where there's, where there's no way forward? What do we do? And he says it in Matthew 7. Let's look one more time. Look close. I'm going to pull a few principles today to equip us on what to do when there is no way. Look what he says, verse 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. It will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, I want you to notice something here. The focus that Jesus puts on this dynamic isn't primarily on what God does. It's actually primarily on what we're to do. Did you notice that? It didn't say God will. It says, first, you ask. First, you seek. First, you knock. The, the active participant here, the initiator here, is actually not God. It's actually us. Did you, did you catch that? Who's responsible? Who moves first? It's actually us. And Jesus is saying, look, God can open a locked door. God can make a wall become a door. God can break any chain. God can meet any need. God can move any mountain. But it's going to take your initiative. It's actually going to take your initiative. Here's the first thought I think Jesus wants us to understand when it comes to moving forward when there is no way. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. When there is no way, pray. When there is no way, pray, and you move heaven. You need to expect to be involved. Now think about how this is working. Think about what Jesus is, is saying. He is saying in many, perhaps most cases, God moves in response to your move. God moves in response to your move. You are more involved in the miraculous than you think or probably are comfortable with. It's easy to kind of just hope that God's goodness is going to somehow deliver, but based on the words of Jesus here, he's saying, no, you're going to be an active participant in God moving in and through your life, that you actually have a part to play. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I think this, and I go there, and some of my, maybe my Baptist or Reformed friends are like, well, wait, is God not sovereign? Can God not do what God willeth? And God is sovereign. And God can do that which he wilt. He can do whatever he wants. And frankly, the Bible is full of evidence of God just moving because God felt like it. He didn't need anybody to say anything. He just reached in. I mean, that's the gospel. The gospel is God moved first. The gospel is we love him because he 
first loved us. So we, we believe in a God who is an initiator, but it seems like in this case, Jesus is saying when it comes to your life, there are things that he won't do unless you move first. There are things that won't happen unless we move first. And this has nothing to say about whether God uh, can move. We don't, you know what? You, God is God and he can do whatever he wants. But it, it seems clear here that when it comes to the followers of Jesus, there are things that will not happen unless we ask. And they will not happen unless we knock. It's on our initiative. Here's the fact. God may want to do a miracle, but he waits for us to partner with him. God may will to do a miracle, but he waits for someone on the earth to actually partner in faith with him. That's how Jesus is saying it's going to work. Look, he, he teaches it even better in Matthew 18. Let's, let's go to another scripture. It's Jesus preaching again on prayer. And look what he says. He gives us a principle that when it comes to breakthrough prayer, we have to understand that the earth actually moves heaven. Look what he says. Matthew 18, verse 18, he says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Another translation says, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Now, where is he putting the onus? On earth. And whatever you loose or release on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Now, notice how it works. Jesus is saying, as you move on the earth, heaven will move into the earth. There's an action reaction here. This has nothing to do, like, I don't know, honestly, I don't know. We could probably spend some time looking in the scripture about can you change God's will. I don't even want to tackle that today. I don't know how much we can affect God's will. I don't know how much of it's predetermined or how much he just wants to be at. I don't know. But what's clear here is this, we can affect God's work. We can actually affect God's work. And that there might be things in our lives, there might be things in this region, there might be things in your marriage, there might be things in your family, there might be things in your finances that God would do, but he's waiting on you to ask. The earth moves heaven. This is the principle. A great Christian writer by the name of Watchman Nee, he was a Chinese martyr, uh, grew up in the 20th century. He was prison, in prison for most of his life, brutally persecuted. He was executed in the 70s uh, under communist China. But he had some incredible, incredible teaching, especially on this idea of prayer. And I want you to see how he puts it, talking about Matthew 18. Look what he says. He says, the peculiar point here is that the action on earth precedes the action in heaven. Not that heaven binds first, but that the earth binds first. Not that heaven looses first, but the earth looses first. The action of heaven is governed by the action on earth. All that contradicts God needs to be bound, and all that agrees with God needs to be loosed. Whatever the thing may be, whatever it should be, whatever, whether it should be bound or loosed, such action of binding and loosing begins on earth. The action on earth precedes the action in heaven. So whatever we bind, God binds. Whatever we loose, God loosed, leases, releases. Now, some of, I know some of you are struggling with it. Like, so are you saying that God is limited, that we dictate God? No, but in a sense, yes. Like, if you think about it like this, 
Imagine you built a house next to the Bay of Fundy or next to the Halifax Harbor, and you were going to go with salt water running, and you, you put a pipe right into the Atlantic Ocean, and that was going to be your main water source. Like, talk about a water source that will never run dry. You have the Atlantic Ocean at your tap. The Atlantic Ocean in your house is limited to the capacity of your faucet. And this is the principle that Jesus is saying. This is the principle of breakthrough prayer, that there are things that God is actually waiting to do, that it's, it's, but it's backed up in the source and resource of heaven, but we have to move on earth in faith and in prayer, contending that God would do what he already wants to do. That's what prayer is. Prayer is actually coming into alignment with the will of God. This is why we've spent the first two weeks about this idea of just learning how to be in God's presence, learning prayer is predominantly listening. And so when we pray, we pray up. This is why Jesus said, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You get to dictate. And he says, your will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer looks like us seeking the will of God, gathering a burden in us, and then praying from the place of heaven's authority. That's what real prayer looks like. That's what breakthrough prayer looks like. Partnering with the Almighty in prayer. When it comes to miracles, when it comes to there being a way where there is no way, you're involved. You're involved. You have to come into agreement. When you hit a wall, when you hit a gap, when you hit a need, when you come to a place in the road where there is no way, it's time to pray. And many times we stare at walls that God would move and we stare at mountains that God would move. We just haven't asked him. This is why James says, you have not because you ask not. You didn't ask me. Here's a haunting question I've been thinking about this week. What is God currently wanting to do in my life that I just haven't asked him? What has been left undone because I haven't sought him and prayed and asked him to do it in my life? What would he do in your life if you asked? What would he do? I, I, I felt the Lord just put his finger on this one certain area in my life. It's just been this nagging thing going on. It's just this constant uh, just struggle. I, I just, it's not going away. And I felt the Lord just this week, based on what I was studying, say this to me, son, stop whining to me and start working with me. Stop whining to me and start working with me. You haven't actually prayed. You just, you just vent your frustration to me, which that's a start. But how about together we start laying tracks and we start seeing a change happen because you prayed and asked? What would happen in your life if you learned how to ask? If you learned how to seek, how to knock? See, this is what Jesus is saying. When there is no way, we pray. You move heaven. Let's keep looking at it. So first idea, when you hit a wall, it is not time to stop. It's not time to set up camp. It's time to start praying for God's will and praying that the earth would move and that heaven would move into that space, that the earth moves heaven. Let's keep looking at it. Let's look at it again. Matthew 7, bring it back up. I hope you're still with me, West Halifax says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, what do all of these things have in common? Asking, seeking, knocking. It's interesting that Jesus uses these analogies, and he doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, leave a voicemail. He, he doesn't say, uh, send an email or a letter. 
He says, ask, seek, and knock. I was thinking about that. And all three of those things are things that you're not done until you're done. You're not done until you get a response. Am I right? Or until you find or don't find that which you were looking for. Like you haven't really done it unless you did it. Do you see what Jesus is getting at here? It's like you haven't really seeked until you sought. And you haven't really knocked until you knocked. You haven't really asked until you asked. Like my kids demonstrate this perfectly. My son, my, my oldest son, Aiden, he is a happy-go-lucky kid, but his head is in the clouds half the time. And so many times we'll get ready to leave and like, Aiden, where is your sweater? And he's like, I can't find my sweater. I'm like, oh, go find it. And five minutes later, he's like, I can't find it. And I'll walk into his room. It's like, it's right there. And I'll say this, did you even? Yeah, did you even look? You didn't really look. You just came up and you kind of took a glance and you turned around. That's what a lot of our prayer looks like. And Jesus is saying, you got, you got to look. You got to seek. My kids know. My kids know. When they want something, they ask. And if I don't answer, what do they do? They don't quit. <laughs> they ask again. Dad. And the register gets higher. Dad. Dad, what? Go away. Right? No, I'm like, come to me, my children. I am the perfect father. Oh. They know they would never just ask once and not get a response, right? And Jesus uses these analogies that you haven't done it until you did it. Breakthrough prayer, no way prayer that requires, it requires a certain degree of determination and persistence resilience. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's another thing that's going to help us move forward. When there's no word from heaven, keep praying. God will respond. Never say after you pray, nothing happened. Never say it. Something will happen, but when you haven't got an answer, Jesus, this is why he says, ask, seek, knock. These are things that are contingent upon your desire. The truth is sometimes we just don't want it bad enough. And that's the hard truth about prayer. Sometimes we just don't want to go there. Like, have you ever gone up to someone's door? You had to knock on a door and you really didn't want them to answer? Anybody? Oh, don't judge me. <laughs> yeah, you, what do you do? You walk up to the door and you do this. Yeah. I guess they're not home, right? What do you do when you really want to make sure that like, they're there? You really want to see them. You go up and you bang on the door. And you stand there, you lean into it. You're not just quitting easily. And this is why Jesus uses these analogies. When there's no word from heaven, you keep praying. It's not time to quit. Now, I know, I know you're pushing back and you're thinking, well, why can't, why can't God just answer my prayers immediately? Like, why can't, like, I know he hear, I know he can hear me. I mean, I got fiber up. We can get it back and forth pretty quick. Like, why can't he just... There's all kinds of reasons we could spend time looking at that. A few, a few off the top of my head. One, there are things going on in the spiritual realm as it pertains to your prayer that we just don't understand. Like if you read the book of Daniel, it seems clear that his prayers took 21 days to get to heaven and back. And there was resistance in the spiritual realm. I don't know how all that works. All I know is the Bible says there's stuff y'all don't understand as it pertains to how this all works. There might be reasons in our character that God wants to deal with, to teach us how to wait on him. There might be reasons with timing, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But the point Jesus is trying to make is this. He's not trying to focus on, on, on what is going on. He wants us to focus on persistence. He wants us to be persistent. Here's a, here's a few thoughts. If you're, if you're really taking notes, write these down. First, you need to be persistent. 
actually knock, actually do it, throw yourself at the door. Sometimes it's only the things that we're really burdened for that we really pray for. And I, I think one of, the, one of the keys of prayer is allowing God to give us a burden that we would really desire to see that happen. Be persistent, be, be specific. When you pray, be specific. How many of you know that general requests get general answers and specific requests get specific answers? My kids know this too. If my daughter wants something, it's amazing how eloquent she can be and how robust she can be in her explanation as to why she should get this thing. Like she, can, she has a whole thesis on it, right? But if she just blindly just, just lobs up a can I, I don't know. But if she makes a case for it, persistent, consistent, specific prayers get specific answers, Watchman Nee, I wish I had time to look at it, but he, he actually talks about how prayer is kind of like we on earth are, are laying tracks. Like think of a train, how the power of a locomotive, I mean, nothing is stopping that. That could go through a wall, but it is directed and limited by where those tracks go. And so he makes this whole case about praying specific prayers and actually directing where those tracks and where the power goes. That's what prayer is. We have to pray specifically. Specific prayers get specific answers. I wish I had time just to give you a list of times where I have, I have prayed to God for specific things and I've seen that specific thing Answered. Has anybody ever, ever found that? In fact, I find a way higher volume of prayers that get answered were because I've prayed specifically. Like instead of just praying for someone's body in general terms, you pray, to the, you pray about the ailment. You don't just say generally, can you make this person healthy? You say, no, in Jesus' name, we just command this issue. You name it by name, and then you, so you bind it, and then you release healing. And God wants his kids to learn how to ask specifically, how to target things in prayer. I think we'd see a lot more breakthrough if we would just do the work to actually think through where God wants to go. See, it takes work. It takes work. Be specific. And then I would say this, persist until you get a response. Persist until you get a response. If you haven't got a yes or a no, the case is still open. And Jesus actually gives us teaching on that. Look at this. He told a parable in Luke 18. Look at this. He says, uh, he, told his he told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This is in the Bible. This is Jesus now. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. So, so picture a judge who has authority and he's a jerk. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Like this girl's crazy is what. <laughs> and the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and say it quickly. He'll answer you. He really will. He'll answer you. But sometimes we give up too quickly. 
And Jesus says, persist until there's an answer. If the jury's out, it's out. But persist until, as long as the case isn't closed, you keep going to the judge and making your case. You keep going, be persistent, pray until you get a response. I know some of you are asking this question, how do you know when you're done? How do you know when God has responded? Well, there's a few things. You can look and see that the situation either changed for the better or the worse. You can see it's a yes or a no. A lot of the time, though, your, your general sense that God heard you comes in your spirit. This is what we mean by praying through. You pray until you get a sense that God has heard you. I can't describe it other than I've been in times of prayer where I felt like God said, good, got it, that's enough. Thank you, I got it, leave it with me. Has anybody ever experienced that before where you're praying and you get this sense where God says, I heard you, I've got it, now trust me. And that's what it means to pray through. We pray until we realize that God has it. This is why, like Paul in, uh, in uh, Corinthians, he says, what? Three times I prayed that God would remove this thorn from my flesh. And he said, based on God's answer, I knew when it was time to stop. I didn't pray four times. I stopped. He told me, my grace is sufficient for you. We're done. You pray until you get an answer. Pray until you get an answer. Tell someone, don't quit. Make sure you're awake. Next to you, right now. Say, don't quit. Don't quit too easy. Come on. West Halifax Valley doesn't even, just looking at me. You really want me to say that? Yeah. Don't quit. All right. Look at this promise. This is one of my, my favorite verses. In fact, seven years ago next week, I read this verse to our church, uh, going through a very difficult, very, going into a very difficult season. Look at the promise of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek. Do you see it? He's waiting on you. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Don't quit. Seek, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. Jesus says, come to me with it. Don't quit. Let's keep going. So Jesus says, for everyone who asks, Matthew 7, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he moves into something we need to keep in mind about the nature and character of God. Because now that we've made our ask and we've made our request, we've got to know how to process forward when we've left it in God's hands. And we need to learn how to interpret how God moves. And look what Jesus does. He doesn't leave us hanging. He says, now think about God this way. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, infinitely more, will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things? Say it, good things. Good things to those who ask him. He's saying, above all, after you've asked, after you've knocked, after you've sought, after you've contended, after you've prayed the prayer of faith, after you've interceded, after you've believed in your heart with faith, you leave it in his hands and you trust in his character. And so he gives us some handles to keep in mind that God is good above all. And no matter how this goes from here on out, I have made my request. I've stood in faith. I've humbled myself and I've sought him in prayer. But no matter how this goes from here on out, I'm going to trust him. So a couple thoughts on trusting God with the answer. Number three, write this down. When the word is not no, but not now. 
Trust his timing. Trust his timing. He will do it. Trust his timing. How many of you realize that the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing? Some of you are like, yeah, her name was, yeah, you know, like her, or, you know, it was a good job, but the timing wasn't right. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask when we ask because it's the wrong time. He hasn't said not, he hasn't said no, he's just saying not now. Not now. God is a God of seasons. He's a God of timing. He uses time and process according to his purpose. And sometimes he's not saying no, he's just saying not now. And you need to trust him until you get your answer. And sometimes that's a long time. It can take a long time and process. But because God is good, keep this in mind. This will help you in those seasons where you're like, why isn't he giving this to me now? Because God is good, he will never give us something that will be detrimental to our eternal life. And sometimes we ask God for things that would actually be destructive to us. And so he won't give that to us when we want it. Sometimes he doesn't give us what we want when we want because we're not ready to handle it. We're not ready to carry it. How many of you know that God's greatest blessings carry the biggest burdens? Nobody's learned that. Do you have kids? Are you, you married folks? The greatest things in our lives, the richest things, God's most precious blessings he's given us carry the most weight upon us, don't they? And you have to actually be built to be able to carry those things. And there are blessings that God will give you, but it's just not time. And he's doing something in you. There's a process unfolding, and he's getting you ready. This is why uh, in the book uh, of Deuteronomy, God is talking to Israel saying, I have the land of promise for you. And I'm going to lead you into a place of abundance and fruit. We're going to go in there and you're going to clean out all the opposition and enemy and you're going to inhabit a land that I have chosen to set apart for you, my people who have set apart. But look what he says in Deuteronomy 7. This should be so encouraging to some of you. He says, You'll, you shall not be in dread of them, talking about the enemies in the promised land. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. How many say amen to that? He's a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end to them all at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. What's he saying? He's saying, if I give you the whole land at once, it will devour you. So we're going to step by step, little by little, town by town, place by place, day by day, grow into the place where you are strong enough to occupy the blessing I want to give you. A lot of the time, God isn't saying no. He's just saying not now. He's saying not now. I, I've, I've learned this. I'm, I'll never forget. I've shared this before. I'll never forget. It was like 2014. God had done an amazing work in our church. We'd had a whole renewal. God had changed the DNA. We were getting, getting kind of traction, and we were kind of bumping up 900 people on a weekend, 1,000 people on a weekend. And it was just stirring my heart because God's given me a big dream for this place and for the church in the region. I'm believing for hundreds of thousands of people to come to know Jesus in my lifetime, and I'm believing for tens of thousands just through King's Church. And it's deep in my heart. And I know, I just, I'm never letting that go. And I remember I, was, I left church. I was fired up because there's like a thousand people in church. And I was driving down Hampton Road. And I was like, God, we're ready for 10,000. Bring them. 
And I felt the Lord just very tenderly but firmly, gentle, firm, just say, boy, you got all you can handle right now. And isn't that true? Like, this is what it means in 2 Corinthians 10, where he says, like, you know, nothing, nothing is tested you that which is common to man. And he says, like, God, God has measured you, and he knows what you can carry, and he knows when you can carry it. So sometimes when he says no, it's not no, it's just not now. So you need to realize that God is a God of timing and realize that his timing is perfect, that there's a process unfolding. I remember uh, we were at our home group, and I was venting about winter. It was like March, and we, like, you know, we're all complaining about winter. Like, summer in Jesus' name. We stand in authority. We rebuke the, the spirit of March in the name of Jesus, right? And I was doing that, and my, my buddy Jason, who's in my group, he, he, uh, he, he works with, like, forests. He's, a, he's into forestry, and he goes, actually, he goes, the forests really need these thaws and freezing, and the thaws and freezing, it's actually part of the system, and, and things won't grow right unless we have a few thaws, and then it freezes again. So anyway, he's like, it's actually built into nature, this process, that, that our summer, we can't experience it without our spring. God is a God. Now, I, I hate that that's true about our weather, <laughs> but it's true. God is a God of seasons. He's a God of timing, but he's a God who does things at just the right time. Like not too late, not too, not too, not too soon. He's an he's a at just the right time God. Like he knows the perfect time to give you that girl you're praying for. He knows the perfect time to give you your child. He knows the perfect time to promote you in business. He knows the perfect time. I don't know, I don't care what the situation is. He's a God who is a just the right time God. He's a just the right time God. And Jesus is saying, hey, trust his goodness. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to lead your life. And he knows you how to lead you to good places. Even if it seems bad, he's leading you perfectly. And at just the right time, that breakthrough is going to come. He is a just the right time God, isn't he? I mean, read your Bible. Read the story of Israel. Remember when, when God led them out of Egypt? They've been slaves for 500 years. Like, talk about wait on God. He finally raises up Moses, and Moses comes and challenges Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And this battle ensues where Pharaoh was stubborn, he had a hard heart. And then finally, God breaks the grip of Pharaoh and starts leading the people of Israel right to the biggest barrier they've ever seen, an ocean, a sea. And as they face this barrier, the Bible says that Pharaoh changes his mind mounts his chariot, gets his whole army, and starts chasing down right on the heels of Israel. Like, talk about one of those, what are you doing, God, moments. But yet the Bible says that Moses came, he raised his staff, the sea parted right as Pharaoh was coming and chasing them down. And, and as, as Israel crossed the sea, the Bible says that behind them, the waters came and swallowed up Pharaoh and all of his chariots. See, God's timing is so perfect. He knew those Israelites would need to see their slave master drown. That there is no going back. He's just the right time, God. I mean, read, read, read the New Testament, read the gospel. 500 years of silence, and God interrupts the silence, comes to Zechariah and says, the time is now. My son shall be born and I'm going to give you a messenger, and he's going to prepare the way and say, the time is now, the kingdom is here. And at just the right time, an angel came to Mary and said, you are going to conceive the hope of the world. At just the right time, she gave birth to him in a manger. 
At just the right time, he grew up in obscurity. At just the right time, he burst onto the scene and started preaching and teaching. At just the right time, he'd move through the cities and heal the sick, raise the dead. He'd change people's minds. At just the right time, he showed up right when they thought their ship was going under to step into the, into the boat and say, peace be still. At just the right time, he rode on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. Passover, timing. Amazing. At just the right time, he broke bread with his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. At just the right time, he went out to the garden and contended before God. And at just the right time, the, 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 for, the forces, the, the armed guard came to get him and said, well, who is Jesus? And he said, I am. And they fell down and he voluntarily gave himself over to them. At just the right time, they flogged him. At just the right time, he carried a cross. At just the right time, the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. Not a minute too soon. Three o'clock in the afternoon, he cried out, it is finished. And there the disciples watched their Savior die. And they think hope is lost, but God is a God of timing, and he is a God of the impossible, and he's about to make a way where there is no way. Saturday comes, darkness. And then at just the right time, Sunday morning, the women go to the tomb, expecting to see their dead hope and they find the stone rolled away. At just the right time, there he is in the garden, standing in victory, resurrected, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is a just the right time God. And I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but you need to just trust in his timing. Rest in it. He knows what he's doing. Even if it looks like your hope is dead and in the grave, he's a God of resurrection. He's a God who makes a way where there is no way. He makes life out of the grave. What else can't he do? Trust his timing. Trust his timing. I'll close with this thought. Look what Jesus says. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Say how much more. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Listen, if God says no to your request, last thought, sometimes God says no. It's not even a not now. It's a flat out no. It's not going to happen. What you ask for, I'm giving you a no. But notice Jesus says how much more. You've got to keep in mind, and Jesus wants to get this, as you pray for the impossible in your life and you trust God's timing and you, you contend, Jesus says, do not lose sight of this. God is a giver, not a taker. And that if he chooses to remove something or he chooses to deny something, it's because he's about to release something better. And if he says, thou shalt not, he's got a that you may that far outweighs the thou shalt not. For every no, he has a yes. For every thou shalt not, he has a that you may. For every death, there is a resurrection. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God says no sometimes. I've seen it in my own life, and y'all, none of us would have a hope in the world if God didn't say no. You think about Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the loneliest person that's ever existed in, in the history of the world, in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
praying in anguish. He knows what it's like to pray in anguish. Like, I just feel his heart for you. Like, some of you, you're there, you're in that garden. You know, Gethsemane means, it means the olive press. It's that place where you're squeezed. He knows what that feels like. And there he is crying out to God three times. He said, God, take this from me. Please. I can't bear it. And he heard him no. The father said no to his own son because he had a bigger yes he was trying to get to. Without him saying no on Friday night, or on Thursday night, there would be no yes to the resurrection on Sunday. And there is something maybe God wants to do, something, some life that he wants to burst forth in your world and in your, in your life that could not happen if he gave you what you asked when you wanted it. And so he's saying, hey, trust my goodness, no matter what. I don't know what wall you're in front of. I don't know what you're trying to see happen. But you trust me that if I said no, it's because I got something even better for you. And I don't know how he's going to work it out. Some of you have already laid to rest your loved one even. You prayed for healing, and it didn't happen. I don't know how it's going to work. All I know is this. Based on what Jesus says, trust his goodness that none of us will stand in eternity with any testimony other than this. You are awesome. You led me perfectly. You are so good, and I have no regrets. Trust his goodness. Trust his goodness. Come on, stand with me. Trust his goodness. All of our locations. He's a God who can make a way where there is no way. He's the God who raises the dead. He breaks chains. He tears down walls. And he does it over and over again. So we, Father, come to you today. We hear the invitation to ask. We hear the invitation to seek. And we thank you, God, that you aren't deaf that you can't hear. We thank you that your arm is not too short that you can't reach into our world. And God, I pray, Lord, for everybody under the name of Jesus, under the name of King's Church, Lord, would you lift our spirits and lift our expectation. Lord, raise us into the life that you call us to live. Lord, let us walk in the authority that your blood has bought us. Let us move in the power of the spirit. Lord, would you raise up a, a, a church of prayer warriors? Not just people who know how to be in your presence, but people who know how to release your will on the earth. God, I pray that the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God would rise up and be revealed in Atlantic Canada like never before. Lord, I pray that there would be signs and wonders and miracles and breakthroughs, all as a testimony to your goodness and your great hand. So Father, I pray for encouragement today to the one who has no hope. Would hope break through where there is no hope? Lord, to the one who has no peace, would peace break through where there is no peace? It's who you are, Lord. You are a way maker, and we believe it, and we receive it in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.